Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 86 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Kristen Lamont about going mobile without losing balance. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we are being productive, and we think that's awesome. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Zero Beautiful Legal Accounting, Simplified. Find out more at zero.com. That's xero.com. So today, Aaron, I wanted to talk about something that's kind of relevant to my conversation with Kristen, which is about the benefits of silence and why we should all probably make some time to not to sit in total isolation booths, but to uh, to remove distractions from our day and just take a little bit of time with nothing calling on our attention. Just to sit with it? Yeah. So basically what was happening is scientists who were researching the effects of noise pollution were using silence as a control. And what they found was that some interesting things started happening in the control subjects that made them probably not great control subjects. But essentially your your brain kind of kicks into high gear um, to fill that silence. And what it's usually doing is it's building cells in your memory centers. So it's essentially sort of going, oh, nothing's going on. I guess this is a good time to review my memories. And it starts pulling up things that might be bugging you or just random stuff that you might want to think about again because it's enjoyable. But it turns out that your your brain is sort of solving problems for you by going through your files, basically. And um, that seems like a pretty useful thing to make time for in your day. It does. So this is separate from kind of the meditation mindfulness stuff that we've talked about in the past, which could also be incorporated into this concept. But this is not about having a practice and more about just finding time to turn off. Yeah, go for a walk every day and leave your phone on your desk. Are the implications also that we should have more silence and less interruption broadly throughout the day? Did you read that into it about maybe not having open office plans, maybe not having notifications bombarding you all the time, that kind of thing? Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure that this article is relevant to that, but I certainly do believe that. When I, when there's external stimulus on me, it is a lot harder for me to just focus and get things done. Maybe that's a personal characteristic of mine, but I mean, you and I have talked a lot about open office plans versus offices in part because we are looking for office space. And I think we both agree that as cool as open offices look, that kind of distraction really isn't conducive to productivity. Yeah. And so it seems like there are two separate questions, right? One is about being able to focus on your priority tasks, which requires Mm -hmm. fewer interruptions and less noise. The other is about even setting those aside and just not having anything to do at all for 15 minutes or an hour. Yeah. Like, so whatever you do to unwind, find some way to do it without a phone, unless looking at a phone is what you do to unwind, I guess, in which case 
find some time to do something else. <laughs> but I like to have a lot of focused, quiet time. It's one of the reasons I like to work at home or in an office with the door closed. I like to have a day or a big part of a day when I'm sort of available to be interrupted. But I like to sort of block those times off if I can. And then I like to take some quiet time. For me, it, it tends to be while I'm running. I don't run with headphones. I like to just go. And that is good sort of focused time to let my brain wander. It's not silent exactly, but there isn't anything going on that demands my attention other than sort of the rhythm of running. And sometimes I'll just leave my phone at home and take the dog for a walk, which I find is is sort of does similar things. So I think you kind of need to block those those pieces off, sort of being available for distraction, but intentionally, having quiet, focused time, and then just having quiet, undirected time. Those all, those all seem really valuable to me, and it seems like you want to have some of each of those. Though it seems like it's much easier to do as a self-employed law blogger than, <laughs> than, say, a practicing attorney with billable hour and more clients than you have time to serve all of them. Yeah, that's fair. Although I think um, like when Randall and I were in an office together, we were in the office together, but we tended to, you know, we tended not to just barge in on each other, but instead to try and schedule that time to talk. Um, but some days we're definitely like Fridays are a good day to be available to be interrupted because um, people just sort of are around on Friday and thinking about the weekend anyway. And so it's a little bit easier to be to say this is my time when you can just barge into the office and talk about whatever is on your mind. So that tended to be how we did that. And I needed a lot of focus time to, to work on those client matters. I needed a lot more than I had, but I did what I could with the time I had. So I, I think you can find some of those similar balances and then maybe schedule in some quiet alone time somewhere in there, whether it's in the evening or during the day. I like it. Which is not totally unrelated to my conversation with Kristen about going mobile and the effects of it and avoiding some of the negative effects of it. So here's that conversation. Hi, Sam. I'm Kristen Lamont, and I'm a practicing lawyer in Salem, Oregon. I do family law, and I've been doing that about 23 years. And I'm also an adjunct professor for Willamette University, and I teach students how to start law practices. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being with us. So um, how big is your firm, first of all? Uh, my firm is about nine people. Wow. Give or take one or two from time to time. Are those lawyers, paralegals? What's the what's the distribution there? Sure. Uh, I have uh, someone who's an office manager, and she also does the in-house tech, so she does a lot of the back office work. Uh, I usually have one to two associates, and the rest are legal assistants. Gotcha. And so you must have a fairly process-driven practice then in order to make good use of all those legal assistants. We do. And I find that works well in family law with the litigation practice. We have a lot of discovery work that we do, and that's primarily where the legal assistants come in. So you just kind of hand stuff off to them for discovery and then pick it back up again later? I do. Um, we've sort of developed a foundation for how discovery is done. And so there's a lot of processes that they can take care of without a lot of monitoring from the lawyers. And uh, so, you know, they get the request for production out, bring in the documents, work with the clients to get documents, organize all of that. And then they also do quite a bit of analytical work uh, so that they give us a, a um, useful package then to take to litigation or settlement. 
So I, I kind of geek out on the, the nuts and bolts of how people run their law practices. And so um, that seems like it poses a management challenge to me where you know you've got a bunch of cases and you know there are people out there working on it. So how do you how do you stay on top of what the cases that you're responsible for? Do you have daily or weekly meetings with people? Do you go through your tickler every Monday? Like how do you how do you know what's going on and, and manage all of it and deal with it? Sure. We've tried a lot of different strategies, and currently what we're doing is a morning meeting that lasts about 15 minutes, and I start that right at the beginning of the day. I do that in part because I think it's great to get everybody together um, first thing in the morning, and we use that also for some social time uh, that I think is helpful for the integration in the firm. And we generally do a Monday morning meeting that is... um, Uh, You know, it's HR stuff, infrastructure stuff, um, that kind of a meeting. And then Tuesday through Friday, we have a short meeting on cases. And each of my legal assistants uh, manages a certain portion of the caseload. So it's their responsibility to come to the meeting ready to talk about um, the cases that are hot for that day. And so they really manage um, the day-to-day oversight of the cases to make sure that deadlines are being met. Um, They often will come to that meeting ready for me to sign documents uh, or to discuss you know, issues that are probably going to come up that day or within the next couple of days. And so I, I imagine for every case you want to know, like, are we are we just sitting on this case because there's an, a deadline out there or we're waiting on something or um, you're just, you just want to, I assume you want to know a detail about each case where it is and then you want to address things on the, as you say, the hot cases. Sure. That's kind of a yes and a no answer. Um, when we get really busy, then often we'll pick a day to be a full case review day, and that's where we're going through the entire list. Um, but otherwise, uh, the way in which we've structured kind of our tickle system on cases allows for us to just deal with what needs to be done each day, and that pretty much gets us around the cycle. And how do you keep track of all this stuff? Do you use software or spreadsheets or what? We, we use a variety of things. Uh, we use Clio for our case management, but I don't tend to keep much inside of Clio. Clio tends to be, you know, almost the contact management system for our hmm. case. And we use uh, Zapier to connect to other pieces of software in order to make that work well for us. And we found that OneNote, which is a Microsoft product, has been a really useful tool for us. So we use that to keep track of our in-office procedures. So, for example, when I'm training a discovery assistant, inside of OneNote will be detailed instructions on how to do that work, including screenshots. And, you know, you can put video links or links to documents. It's it's a really nice dynamic um, format to use. And we also do our case management list inside of OneNote. Um, there's one master list, and then there's a subpage for each particular case, and that's where we keep kind of our hot notes. And each of the discovery assistants or legal assistants assigned to that case is responsible for keeping that up to date. So that gives us a real short sheet where I can easily see if a request for production is due or what the trial date is or if mediation has been completed. Whatever's happening on that case, uh, there'll be there will be a to-do checklist that's a short list there. So uh, OneNote is basically your one stop for what's happening on any given case. 
It is. Cool. So you've, uh, you said to me that you had incorporated mindfulness into your law practice. And we've had Gina Cho on. Um, mindfulness is kind of big now at the TBD Law Conference. We did meditation sessions and talked about this. Um, tell me about what you do and how you do it and what sort of benefits you think it's having. Sure. If you wouldn't mind, I, I think I'd like to start with talking about how we ended up there. Yeah. Um, and we had, uh, we've always used a lot of tech in our office and I'm kind of an early adopter. I like to play around with tech. Basically, I know I'm doing too much when my staff, you know, rolls their eyes at me when I come out with the next new thing I want to <laughs> do. And, uh, when, uh, we hit a point a couple of years ago where I wanted to go towards mobility and I heard from my staff that they wanted to be mobile too. So we started transitioning to laptops for everybody and putting a mobile work policy in place and, and trying to set that up. And about that time, I found that my stress load was just really through the roof. And I thought working mobily would help. Um, I thought getting out of the chair and, you know, being at home or being different places to be able to work was really good, going to interrupt that um, stress load. And it really worked in the opposite. Well, let me let me start by talking about um, a little bit more about how you decided to go mobile. So you said you bought laptops and you did some other things. What were the like? What were the key moving pieces to make that happen at that point? Because later I want to talk about how you're doing it now. If any of that looks differently, yeah. Uh, the way where we were at prior to going to mobile. Uh, was that we were using Time Matters and we'd used Time Matters as our case management system for many years. And of course, that sat on a server and, and that was the major impediment to being able to go mobile. And so ultimately, we selected Clio. I think you could pick any of the, of the web-based products to do that. And we moved all of our storage for documents onto Dropbox. And I think you could use Dropbox or Box or any one of those web-based products. Um, and we have a a very uh, specific way in which we name files and we have a specific way in which we set up folder hierarchies for our cases. I try to keep the number of folders low and keep the naming conventions consistent so that it's easy to sort by date when you're inside of a file and it's easy to find what you want. And I've also found just in the last few years, the search mechanisms um, are so easy now uh, on computers that it's easy to locate uh, within a file pretty quickly what you're looking for as well. So we were totally paperless and had been since 2005, so that wasn't a new jump, but it was a change to be basically entirely web-based. Um, we picked Dropbox primarily because it allowed us to have the documents sync down to our laptops so that if I was offline, I'd still have access to everything. And I was concerned that if we were completely web-based and working in the web on documents, that there might be a little lag time in doing that, and I didn't want to experience that. So that's how we came to uh, to select, you know, kind of the basic infrastructure for being mobile. I love that because um, I, when people start talking about it, I feel like they get all sorts of complicated ideas in their heads about what they need to do. But basically, it boils down to laptop, um, put your files in the cloud, and make sure you're keeping track of your file information in the cloud. And then you're pretty well good at that point for the technology behind it. Right. That's that's awesome. So, um, so you did this and you found that it, instead of liberating you, it actually just meant that your work was following you around everywhere you went? Pretty much. I very quickly turned into that, you know, caricature of a 24-7 
uh, worker where I was checking and looking at things at all hours and really never turning it off, never getting away. So I'm going to take two minutes to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about how you used mindfulness and maybe changed your systems around to avoid that outcome. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant... Tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. And we're back, and Kristen, you were talking about um, how you went mobile, and it wound up being more stressed than before. And so, how did you tackle that problem? What did you do for research, and what changes did you make for the firm or the systems or whatever? Sure, I was uh, I was actually getting ready to do a talk for uh, a bar convention about mobility. They kind of wanted an update on what we were doing, and and I was feeling so unhappy with what we were doing at that point with the stress level, uh, that that's really where my focus was. So I, I started digging in and doing the research to try to figure out why I was so much more stressed now and what we could do to change that. And, and it was just, you know, it was a great intersection with the opportunity to talk about that. And that gave me, I think, a little more time and dedication to just focus on answering that question. And what I found was that there is really some good quality research on the effects of technology on the brain. And what I learned from that was that, uh, you know, and no fault to the folks that develop tech, but of course they're developing tech in order to get us engaged and want to buy or use the technology that they're developing. And the way in which they do that is to take advantage of the way in which our brains respond to stimuli. And it's interesting uh, in that, when, for example, you open up your email box and you see an email bolded, which means it's unread, or if you hear a ping for a text um, or a ping for a call on your phone, the response for your brain is a little squirt of dopamine. And we get into this cycle where, uh, and I, uh, this was this was something I didn't know about dopamine. Dopamine is responsible for seeking behavior. It's also responsible for kind of what we think of as curiosity. 
and so we get into this loop where we're curious, we seek, and then we get an instant gratification, uh, which is the opiate part of it. Uh, and that forms a fairly addictive loop for our brain. So we seek reward, seek reward. And when we're using computers or we're on our phones or we're on the Internet, that seek reward cycle is really short, right? You can hmm. go on to Google, look something up, and instantly find it. Um, and that's very rewarding for the way our brain chemistry works. So it, it sounds like this is like a um, – this is exactly why, you know, you sit there and you refresh your email inbox. Absolutely. Because you refresh, you refresh, you refresh. Oh, there's one! And it gives you that little um, that little hit of dopamine and so you do it and you deal with the pro the email and that makes you feel good too and so then you sit there and you refresh and you refresh and, and it's like you just do that for an hour sometimes and you realize that or that you've just been cycling through the same three tabs in your browser looking for new information that's exactly it and gotcha. so as i started looking at that you know i certainly could see myself in those behavior patterns and also just in the process of research researching learned a little bit more about you know, other ways in which tech affects our brains. So, you know, that fear of missing out syndrome that we talk about, um, that certainly is is fostered by a lot of interface with tech. Um, we actually dream differently. When mm. we watched black and white TV, people used to dream in black and white. When it went to color TVs, our, our dreams turned to color. You know, we're very um, responsive mm. to the interface with technology. Um, light that comes from computers and uh, and cell phones has a blue light, um, which is like the blue light of sunlight, and that has an impact on our circadian rhythm and our sleep cycles. Um, we even have a large increase in nearsightedness over the last 30 years. It's gone from about 25% of the population to 42% of the population, and it stands out uh, most starkly for highly educated folks, so people that are spending more time on the screens are impacted by that. So how do you take all this information and then and what do you decide to do with this? We looked at all of that and we also talked within the office about the research that I was doing. And um, I actually started in a, in a really odd way. We, at the same time that we were all feeling a lot of stress from the mobility and the tech interface, um, you know, it was really affecting the sense of collaboration and teamwork within the office. And I was trying to get at how to solve that. Um, and I just sort of randomly picked uh, inspirational quotes and inspirational quotes I used to pull off of Pinterest or something like that. You know, I just search for inspiration and I picked them because they were a little colorful. I could cut them out in a little piece of paper, you know, like a little two by two inch square. Um, and I just started that and I played a game where I basically gave people tickets. You know, you could pull from a bucket and you might get a ticket worth a buck or two bucks or five bucks if you played along with the game. And I'd hand these out at our morning meeting um, and and just ask people to use the quote in some way during the day and, and then turn the quote back into me by the next day and write on the back, you know, how it impacted them. And uh, a couple of people played and nobody else was playing. So we did this for a week or two. And I just noticed that most people were not participating. So I quit. Um, and within a day or two, we came to a morning meeting and one of my staff members said, you know, where's our quote? And I said, well, I noticed that you guys weren't playing much. So I just thought it wasn't that interesting. So I wasn't doing it anymore. And they said, no, 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 we want to do it. And they were saving their quotes. So it was actually worth more to them to hold on to the piece of paper hmm. than it was to pick a ticket that was worth money. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and so, so we switched it. So now we share. So you don't have to give your paper back. We just share in the office. And we don't do this every single day. Sometimes for months we don't do it at all. And then somebody will ask for it and we bring it back. Um, but that's probably been the most effective team building exercise we've ever done. Um, and, and I think what it does is that when we take a quote, and we come back the next day and talk about how it impacted us. It encouraged people to participate and express a little vulnerability in the group. People were willing to tell about how it had affected them personally or what they weren't good at. And, and that expression of vulnerability in the group really engaged everybody else in the group in supportive behavior. And that's what really changed in terms of the, the um, development of a tighter team. You know, I've read that before that uh, that it's that vulnerability, the um, talking about your feelings, um, your frustrations, your pain, um, your sadness with the people that ordinarily you just talk about whether or not this memorandum needs to be edited or whether or not this discovery is going to be in on time. Um, when you when you start really talking about that that personal stuff, it ends up bringing you closer together. And so your exercise or a number of other exercises seems like really good ways to help with that. And then once you're stronger as a team, I assume it is a lot smoother and easier working with one another. It has been. And then some of the other things that we did are, you know, really pretty basic, but I think helpful. Um, we allow for some quiet time at work. So if anybody wants um, some periods of time to work without interruption, they're allowed to, to request that and we respect that of each other. Um, I think we do more social engagement in our office now. Certainly the morning meets, meetings do that. And, and I think a lot of time morning meetings or any kind of regular meeting is kind of a negative thing in a group. Um, but we try to keep it short enough and uh, add some of those kind of social engagement activities like the quotes um, so that I think people look forward to it and enjoy it. I've really changed how I use my phone. Talk about that. I've turned off the notifications, so I'm not getting buzzed. And when I come to work, I really do put my phone away. So when I'm in the office, if somebody wants to talk to me, they need to come through the main line, but not on my cell phone. I don't spend time looking or responding to text messages or mm -hmm. calls or emails through my phone. Um, although I will say one thing that I like, I use an Android phone and I'm, I'm sure it's the same on an iPhone. And that is that, um, it is nice to be able to respond to an email by dictating the response. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Android function works pretty well for that. Um, so I do use that kind of as an interruption from the typing sometimes. Um, but I certainly don't use my cell phone to be ultra responsive during the workday in that mode. When I get home, there's a, uh, Panasonic, it's called a link to sell digital phone. And it's, it's essentially like, um, you know, like we used to have the wireless phones where you just had the handset that you could walk around the house with. This was before cell phone days. Yeah. Um, and they have a product where you can just dock your cell phone. Um, and so the calls route through there, but it kind of gets you away from carrying it around or responding to texts or other kinds of interfaces. I was going to say one of my solutions is I treat my cell phone like an old fashioned phone and I set it down in the same place all the time so that if I right. want to go get, go use it, I have to go get it. 
And we do the same in our home. We have kind of an entryway table and, and they go there and that's where the charging station is. And they never invade the bedroom or upstairs. Um, they just stay put there. I look at the cell phone as my convenience for communication. I don't look at it as a tool where everybody gets to interface with me whenever they want to. Um, I've tried to make some limits on that um, because it's sort of a slippery slope. You know, once you start carrying it in your pocket around how, around the house, um, it gets pretty interruptive to the downtime that you need to restore from, you know, the heavy load of technology during the day. So, um, we started out by talking about um, incorporating mindfulness into your practice. Um, and is this what you mean or is there something else to it? Well, there's kind of two pieces to it. So, the first is interrupting the way in which technology was was using me, you know, mm-hmm. so getting ahead of it and being more thoughtful or mindful about the way in which I interface with technology. Um, so, that's one way in which we do it. Um, the other is... Um, For me, and I I remember listening to the podcast with uh, Gina Cho talking about her anxious lawyer book and and the meditation that she does. And I, like you, have a little difficulty slowing down enough to truly meditate. Um... I find that my brain just doesn't uh, doesn't get slow enough for that to be very effective for me. I probably <laughs> could use more practice, but today I'm not very good at that. Um, and so what I've done is to look at other ways in which to incorporate some of the benefits of that in, in other ways. So, for example, um, creating rituals that are restorative throughout the day, I think, can have a really great impact on um on your function. So when you wake up in the morning, you know, creating simple rituals around the waking up process, um, I try, and this is interesting, you can set an intention to wake up at a certain time and practice that and create routine and when you go to bed and when you get up. Um, And that can really help you be ready to wake up at the right time and then not get that sort of jarring alarm interruption to get you up and out of bed. Um, So creating some rituals around going to bed and getting up in the morning can be helpful. Breathing is a pretty important piece to uh, to being restorative. And uh, there's kind of a new device, and I haven't tried it yet, but when I was doing some research to, uh, to talk to you today, I came across it, and it was developed by Stanford Labs. It's called Spire, S-P-I-R-E, and it's a device that actually monitors your respiration, and it vibrates when it notices that you're in um, stressful breathing patterns to remind you to stop and, um, and gather yourself. And they talked about even screen apnea. So when we're using and interfacing with devices, um, our breathing patterns can change that increases stress levels. Um, so that was kind of a fun thing. You know, I've read that just, just taking a moment to stop and take a deep breath and then exhale fully and completely is enough to sort of disrupt whatever pattern that you were in before you did that. And I wonder, this seems like a sort of extension of the same thing. Like, hey, we've noticed that what you're doing right now is not healthy. Why don't you take a deep breath and change it? Right. And I think for something like breathing, and this is definitely true for me in terms of, for example, adopting meditation, I get going so fast in my day um, that I really stop paying attention. So Mm -hmm. something like that, a device that can interrupt you, you know, that's probably, you know, kind of the best use of technology to help you, you know, reset in the moment. 
taking breaks. And one of the ways in which I've incorporated breaks is I decided to start bringing my dog to work. I never thought I would bring a dog to work, but, uh, but we had a new dog and she couldn't stay home by herself very easily. And that's turned out to be a really great way to make me get up out of my chair and get out and take a walk several times a day. And, and it is stress reducing to have her around. So that's been a positive. And I also have been mindful about including what I'd call kind of repetitive work or repetitive tasks, something that you can do usually physically in some kind of a routine way that engages you differently than sort of the high, high stress tech lawyering part. And for me, we live out in the country, I grow a lot of flowers, I do a lot of gardening. And so that's a way to, you know, repetitively plant or pick or cut or, you know, do some of those routine care things. That's sort of your meditation then. Right. And so I incorporate it in that way. Um, I think any kind of a hobby or collecting, um, knitting can be great because there's kind of a kinetic energy that occurs. It's repetitive. You don't have to think about it very much, but there's a little bit of movement to it. Those kinds of things can be helpful. For me, I kind of grew up in a family where um, nothing was really of value if it wasn't somehow productive. Mm-hmm. And and so I always tend to turn everything I do, you know, away from a hobby and into into a business or an opportunity or a skill build or something like that. And I think a lot of lawyers are like that where uh, they're pretty competitive and pretty um, focused on making something worthwhile. And so I think creating repetitive tasks that are meaningful to you, something you enjoy doing, but also something that feels a little productive um, can help you keep it up in a daily practice. Whereas I have a hard time reminding myself to stop and do yoga or stop and do meditation. I think for me, the connotation is it's not productive. And so I have a hard time connecting to that on a daily basis. It stresses you out almost more to try and stop and do nothing because then nothing's being produced. Yeah, that's probably phase two of my development if I ever get to that. (laughs) Well, I like your approach because it's, uh, you've, you've characterized mindfulness in a different way. And I, I, I imagine some people may hear this and go, well, th- none of those are, th- those don't sound woo-woo mindfulness to me, which is kind of the point. Like the point is just to take time to focus on different ways that you can engage with your colleagues, that you can be thoughtful about what kind of work you're doing and when you're doing it and give your brain a chance to sort of re, uh, re-engage with you and the world and stop just running in its hamster wheel all the time. I think for me, um, I'm fairly science-based in my approach, and it was really helpful to do the research and see see what was out there in terms of how mindfulness or how those kinds of activities, you know, uh, regular breathing, physical movement, um, repetitive work, and also meditation, how those impact brain structures and how they interrupt the sort of that fight-flight mm-hmm. impulse that we have in stress. And, you know, there's a, there's some good research that suggests that mindfulness practices, however it is you define that, um, actually changes brain structures. It shrinks the amygdala, which is responsible for that fight-flight impulse. Um, It thickens the prefrontal cortex, which is the front of the brain that's responsible for executive decision-making and judgment. And it also changes the way in which those two centers of the brain talk to each other. Um, So in essence, the mindfulness helps develop a stronger connection to the front of our brain, you know, the executive Mm -hmm. function, and we're less vulnerable to that fight-flight um, responsiveness. And I think that can be 
you know, that's a really worthwhile thing to be doing, particularly for lawyers uh, and for me, particularly in the litigation area where we're really subjected daily to opportunities for fight or flight. Um, That's kind of the nature of what we do, but we do our best when we keep our brains functioning well. And that's been helpful for me in order to disengage sort of that adrenaline response to the stress of litigation or the stress of practice. And it's given me a more sort of concrete value to incorporating better self-care because it, it also creates better lawyering, uh, more success in my practice. So for me, that helps me tie that productivity thing back in mm-hmm. uh, to make this worthwhile and something that I'll stick with. So um, let's try and close by um, maybe you've got a couple of recommendations for a lawyer who is feeling similarly tethered to their technology or, hey, I've gone mobile, but everything feels more stressful. Um, what's the What are the next couple of steps you think they ought to do to try and turn that around? Well, I think... Uh I think the phones are probably the primary culprit for creating extra stress. So just creating a habit around use of your phone and particularly at home. So a place to set it, uh, turn it off and make sure that you're not engaging and using it, you know, maybe after 6 p.m. and don't get back on it until 7.30 a.m., something like that, in order to give yourself a break and create a bedtime ritual so that you're actually getting some good restorative sleep. Those two things, I think, would have the largest, you know, impact on reducing stress immediately. And then when you're feeling a little bit better, because I think if your sleep's disrupted, it's hard to do the next piece. I think the next piece is physical movement. And that doesn't have to be big exercise, but just getting out and walking, um, being outside, having some connection with nature and away from screen time. Those things, I think, create um, kind of the biggest bang for the buck in terms of restorative behaviors. Well, thanks. That's Those are great tips. Kristen, thanks so much for being with us today. And um, I hope we'll be able to have you back sometime to talk a little bit more about the approach you've taken, which I find fascinating. Thank you so much, Sam. It was a pleasure to be here. Make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. Subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.